0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What's the connection between the paranormal and electricity? What was the chronovisor? What's the real cause of those weird sounds
1: that seem to come from the sky? Hello, and welcome to the 780th broadcast, 84th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WON 1240 a.m and 99.3 FM as well, and this is our 11th year on the air. I'm Ben, and those varied questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, and dad. Paul. And uh, today, uh, we bring you the second of two back-to-back open line shows uh, to try and catch up on all those listener questions that we've accumulated over <laughs> years. Um, and uh, we welcome your calls today. The numbers are 401-766-1240 uh, from anywhere. And you can also email Paul at paranormalcom And don't forget about handy-dandy Facebook message as well. And uh, joining us again today is our popular guest co-host, Shane Searway, And so welcome back, Shane.
2: And we're back with much better weather this week.
1: Oh my God! Yeah, gosh. we don't yes. have to worry about ice storms and yes, snow. Yes, yeah, struggled and down uh, heroically
0: last week, go. and that was uh, much appreciated. It's always always great. Uh, it's tough, especially with these back to back shows. But uh, you know, we got the question. We got a lot of complicated questions this week, for some reason. So let's uh, let's jump right in. Excellent. We get to <laughs> <Okay>. two questions. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's start with this one. This is from Zach. I don't know where Zach
1: is from. Zach from nowhere writes to us. Uh, what do you think is the connection between uh, the paranormal and electricity, and the sulfur smell associated with Bigfoot, demons, in ancient deities, etc.? Uh, do you think it has something to do with the way they travel or their entrance into our universe? Um, you know, I want to stop there. Yeah, we'll okay, take one stop a there. At time. We'll take, yeah, we'll, a lot we'll of take people sent multiple questions. That's so. a great, great, yeah. great question. Well, would you like to take it away, Shane?
2: Yeah, as far as the the smell, I like, you know, that's that's something that I've been, um, I thought of a long time ago, but it, it's, uh, it seems to make sense, because the more and more reports you get, uh, a lot of people say, you know, that are abducted, a lot of abductees claim to smell a sulfur smell, or a rotten egg, or whatever, um, people who run into Bigfoot claim the same thing, you get that smell in, in haunted homes, or whatever, you know, when there's that type of activity taking place, and, and so... I believe, it's my opinion, that it's it's a product of the process of what's taking place, what's, what that crossover, whatever's you know, transpiring or whatever, it's, it, that smell is a product of... of it. So I, I don't think it's just Bigfoot that smells that way, you know what I mean, because he, he doesn't wash or bathe. I, I think it's part of the process in, in which things, uh, how, how we're interacting and things are crossing over.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree. Um, I remember... Um, Now, my my one, maybe two Bigfoot experiences, I didn't smell anything weird. No, I didn't either. Yeah. Um, And one theory that we've had, at least as far as Bigfoot is concerned, is that maybe it's a defensive reaction Mm. to release a smell. Now, now, uh, it's not just skunks that do that. Some snakes do that. And some, which is ironic, because it's St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) Uh, More about that in a minute. But there seems to be, certain circumstances where animals will release this kind of uh, unpleasant scent as a defense mechanism. But on the other hand, I remember in, I'm in, um, always talking about the Bridgeport case, but that was pretty dramatic, 1974, there was a sort of a sulfur smell. And in folklore, uh, well, it's not just folklore, but I mean in uh, the history of paranormal uh, experience in the human psyche, uh, there's always a, uh, an association of sulfur with the devil. And it could very well be because, just because, from what you said, Shane, uh, that could be very well, you know, the reason, crossing the world boundaries or, mm-hmm. uh, the ozone smell. Uh, there was kind of a mixture of sulfur and ozone in that house, you mm. know, and many other cases that I've seen as well, uh, which, which is an interesting point. Uh, Ben, any thoughts on that before we proceed, uh, to a little deeper into the issue?
1: Sure. So I, th- I think it's – I think one of the things I was trying to quickly, like, you know, look for some scientific journals via, you know, smartphone to see if there was any sort of, um, you know, connection between sulfur, specifically in electromagnetism. And I didn't even think about ozone. Um, I was trying to see if there was any, any sort of, like, thing that could, could con- conduct it because typically, you know, smells um, – it's, it's interesting how smells kind of work. From what I, I remember, I could be completely wrong in, what I'm re- in how I'm remembering this, but essentially, you know, different chemicals have different smells, and it's it's how our brain reacts to it. So, like, um, you know, like uh, noxious gases and things like that, but there are also certain chemicals that we just can't smell. So, like, you know, we can't smell, like, carbon dioxide or carbon monoxide or anything. Well, we could probably smell carbon dioxide, but we can't smell carbon monoxide, which is why we have detectors for them, so that, you know, we don't just die. <laughs> like... Because that's you know it, it's it's one of those things you just can't smell like certain certain poisons you can smell some some poisons you can't so I think it's I I think one of the things I'd really like to kind of learn more about because um, you know we focus on all the the um, quantum um, mechanics of it but we never really focus on the other areas of science with it and as we we've established in a couple of shows that you know this isn't really compartmentalized stuff everything kind of works together in this this mechanism and one of the things i'd really kind of wanted to learn more about is the, the chemistry of it and i always liked chemistry as a kid yeah, so i think i think that for some reason i understood it i, I geometry i couldn't grasp but like chemistry is like yeah this makes a ton of well,
0: sense you never blew up the house i was grateful for that
1: well that's true although i i did have a, a crazy chemistry teacher and i think that was part of what inspired me to really enjoy it <laughs> yeah so, yeah so i think i think um one of the things I'd really like to learn more about is, you know, why why do we get this response of, Oh, we know it's sulfur when or like, you know, ozone or something like that. Why do those why those smells specifically? You know, I've, I've heard stories of people saying, you know, different smells, like roses, things like that. Yeah. You know, um, typically, you know, Pipe
0: smoke, you know, in yeah. houses, you know, that sort of
1: thing. Yeah, that kind of that kind of makes more sense, but I'm wondering you know, if that doesn't really make much sense. So I guess I'll quickly explain that. You know, if it is something crossing through a world boundary, that does kind of make sense that, you know, okay, cool, maybe you'd smell things that you normally don't smell like um you know you walk walk into a house you smell bread there's no bread being baked anywhere or some, something like that but i think i think that that makes much more sense than okay so what what is happening mechanically that is creating these smells what chemicals are interacting that are like okay cool it's making sulfur something's bonding together in making this sulfury smell or ozone or something like that so i think there's i think there's more to discover there. Um, which would require more thought on my part before I can make any sort of educated guess as to why. And right. also,
2: we would have to say, you know, with any smell, we're inhaling or whatever. It, it would have to be like a gas or or micron of some sort. You know, uh, that's how we're we're picking up on that scent. But we would have to have something physical,
3: mm, you know. Oh, exactly. There
2: as, as well. So, um What's a, what, where's that coming from? You know. Yeah. So that's I really th- my opinion is it's a pro- it's a product of this this event that's taking place mm. that, that allows that crossover. Oh yeah, no doubt. Yeah.
0: Well, which circles back to Zach's question: What's the relationship between the paranormal electricity? The, yep. So that's one relationship. Okay. When you look at it, everything in the physical world, I suppose everything in the multiverse, really uh, is based on electricity. At the risk of oversimplification, because uh, electromagnetism is electrically based. Air, uh, uh, our, our muscles move because of electrical impulses. Our brains function that way. So everything is really electrical. So there would have to be a relationship between the paranormal and electricity, uh, particularly as, as you both pointed out, in the matter of membranes, as a physicist would say, or, or world boundaries, as we say. Uh, th- when you see Orbs, um, which we've talked about many times, uh, you know, what are they, and this sort of thing. Uh, They're the, the, the sort of the blobs of light that come out in photographs, and the, that, that you and I have both seen with the naked eye. I think you have too, Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, and they will change colors. They act in an electrical manner, uh, and one thinks of ball lightning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked to many people who have had experiences. They thought their house was haunted. It actually it seemed more like ball lightning, and on several occasions it actually was, it was a, like, like a huge like bang and it exploded right in the middle of the room, that sort of thing. So I think there is an intimate relationship between the paranormal and electricity. Um, we say, at least the way we put it, paranormal activity takes place when uh, world families, you know, the, the parallel worlds uh, sort of jostle one another and the laws of physics may be different in one than in the other. And, again, the the uh, the whole relationship and the entire interaction is really based on electricity or electromagnetism. Mm. So I think there's an intimate relationship.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I agree with that. But, um, on, on another note, too, um, I created an EM pump, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, years ago. You're like
0: the mad scientist of the paranormal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: because I saw these, these clowns on TV using them, yeah. and I said, well, let me see, you know, I'll... I'll stay open mind until I can disprove it or whatever.
1: Quick question: What
2: is an EM pump? It's an electromagnetic um, pump. So basically, it's generating in creating an electromagnetic field. So you take a box, an empty um, box. I got at Radio Shack. You mm-hmm. know, um, I installed a motor, and on the end of the motor was a spindle, and I attached two magnets. And so you, then you attach a 9 volt battery and it spins around and it maxes out my EMF meter. I mean, it, it, it created, you know, so basically yeah. that's how it's done. I brought them into, uh, um, several haunted homes, you know, that, that families didn't live there, so we weren't endangering anybody, but I wanted to experiment with them. And one de- definite active home, but I saw no increase in activity whatsoever. Um, in, in in these homes Matter of fact When I was using them There was not, no activity at all um, It was when When I was doing other things wor- Things were happening in the house But that EM pump it had nothing to do with With the activity level But like you said Everything Is electrical I mean it, it, in, Like I was in a Well we see balls of lights And where, where people see Bigfoot You know We mm-hmm. see red lights Orange lights And I was in a field I don't know if I brought this up last week I know I recently talked about it But <clears throat> I, years ago I was in this, uh, this field, um, that's a flap area, and I was talking, a bunch of people knew I was gonna go there, so I showed up and there was like 30 people, there was a bunch of people there that wanted to talk to me, so I ended up giving a mini lecture, it was actually in a cemetery, but it, it, that wasn't the, it was, it's Valentine Cemetery, um, in New York Oh, yeah. Huh. So it wasn't, um, it's not a cemetery that's haunted or active. we got UFOs up in the sky all the time.
0: And, mm. Yeah, and, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, so yeah.
2: It's at area for sure. So I ended up giving this mini lecture to these 30 people, and they all were facing me, and just behind them, all of a sudden, bigger than a basketball, it was just big ball of energy or light. And it was beautiful. I mean, it was probably – I've seen crazy things, but this was just really – it was magnificent and mm. it was purple and green and the colors were separated like yin and yang and it was mm. just kind of rolling around like this and I, it took, I was in shock at first and I was like finally I said turn around, turn around and only a couple of people saw it as it tailed off but they cl- caught it for a second um, and then last winter <coughs> I, I had some time I went up there there was like a little bit of snow on the ground and there were these giant footprints that looked like Sasquatch prints I mean your typical what you see you know giant footprints bigger than mine with the big toes and everything really wide and they started in this one area where they just circled around and but there wasn't they didn't come from anywhere they just started right mm-hmm. it, it was like circling around like it was looking for something like the one you saw in pennsylvania yeah and then it walked up like 100 yards and they just stopped mm-hmm. but but there were footprints one right after the other it was just like you know and i would walk but the the they were feet, like bare feet, but large, you know. So, um, But that I was just thinking that that ball of light, you know, and how um, a lot of people claim to see these weird balls of lights, especially the one that I described, like the yin and yang. Um, a lot of people are seeing those around areas where Sasquatch are sighted. Mm-hmm. And so um, they have something to do with the whole process as well, I believe. So
0: Yeah. So I guess that's a big yes there, Zach, on the uh, relationship <laughs> between electricity and paranormal. So what's uh, Zach's next um, Next question, there Ben. Oh, it's actually
1: more of an observation um, than than a question. Well, it's it's observation question. Um, he continues uh, by saying, and if you have watched Twin Peaks, which I've only seen the first episode because my wife uh, just was like, you know, I'm not super into it, and I was like, okay, um, <laughs> I've, I've been meaning to watch the rest of it though. Just you know, I just haven't had had a chance. Um, in the show, it seems that the that uh, that's the way the entities travel in the show. I'm trying to explain it uh, the best I can, almost like they are traveling through uh, the electrical currents. Um, I guess I'm asking if you think there's something to that.
0: Yeah, actually, it's funny uh, that he puts it that way, because I, I have, in writing about some of these these um, cross-brain, B-R-A-N-E, incursions, perhaps, uh, what is electromagnetism? An electromagnetic magnetic when your EM meter, meter, when your electromagnetic field meter follows, or you use it to follow an electric, uh, electrical, electromagnetic magnetic field. Uh, an EM field surrounds an electrical current. Now you remember in Pennsylvania, the, the Pennsylvania flap case we're always talking about. Uh, we were there last May, mm-hmm. and we uh, and I was you and uh, Alexander Petekov were. Uh, checking the um, uh, camera traps up and down the stream, and I was I, I kind of hung back because I was getting a very strange reading, and I, I don't use the EM meter a lot. Mm-hmm. What I'm interested in is when it goes into the negative range, and it did, which is very strange. And I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere in, in, in a marsh. You know, it wasn't even a marsh. It was just. Uh, it, w- it would have been all overgrown, like probably a week later. It was uh, water plants, you know, ferns and all. Mm. But they hadn't really come up yet because it was still cold. Mm. And uh I followed that, and it disappeared into into the into a wall of rock. It just vanished. Mm. So that, to me, maybe I'm wrong, is is uh, an area of cross border incursion, so to speak. So. Uh, I always have used the, the term the the entities will uh, parasites particularly will ride the electrical currents across the brains and then when that happens the polarity on the field is reversed and that's when you get those weird readings which doesn't happen often but um, so I mean I think maybe Zach has a point there but you know, describes it rather well yeah you know?
2: I, I agree I think um, also I think vibration or frequencies involved in yeah, too yeah, well. yeah. But but definitely um yeah, good good
0: one. Yeah, yeah. So that's it. Oh, that's all Zach has to say. Yeah. Oh, I was hoping he was going to, you know, carry us through the whole show here. <laughs> no. I'll <laughs> right. well, give somebody else a chance. Okay. Uh, here's one from uh, oh dear old Peter in Columbia, South America, who's a very very faithful listener and very good questioner. So he's got several here.
1: Oh wow. <laughs> okay, we'll just yeah. tackle them one at a time. Um, Okey doke. Uh, Paul and crew. Hi. Um, can you comment on some of these questions? So let us start with, uh, you know, uh, right at the very beginning, which is a very good place to start. Uh, the coronavirus. very here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Julie Andrews. Yeah. Um, so uh, Peter writes to us. Uh, this is a story about uh, Pellegrino Ernetti, uh, who lived from 1925 to 1994, an Italian priest and scientist. Uh, that supposedly built a device to view past time. He claimed to have tuned in amazing historical events such as the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, The story is very difficult to buy. I would like to know uh, if you have looked into this case. Well, I know
0: Shane has. I'm I'm a little bit familiar with it. I know that the priest was kind of considered a nutball. <laughs> so I, you know, uh, so Shane, what, what did you, you looked into this?
2: Yeah, so what i found out was, um, so you created this device and, and recorded events, you know, of the past or whatever. But what I find as a, a red flag is that they're recording events that are only of interest to them, you know. So yes. the, the the Last Supper, the yeah. you know, the, the death of Christ, um, you know, those religious events, and so now. Back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I developed a theory on how to manipulate light frequencies and, and capture beings that, that were around us at all times, you know. And Mike Sullivan, who was on my team at the time, he, he was—he started to do a reflective photography type te- technique, and one of the ways that he did it was exactly the way I would have done it. So it was kind of tasked to him, or he didn't know, it, but he was doing it anyway. And he, he was capturing... Alien creatures. this one that looks like the Sasquatch. There's he human-looking people, but all kinds of weird beings, and they were, you know, unmistakable. I mean, they were there. They weren't. It wasn't like paradoia, you know. Mm. And um, now that was done by manipulating light frequency and, um, and, and we're capturing our images. So, is it possible to capture beings or other things from another time or whatever? Yeah, I believe so. Now, sure. what yeah. what they believe what. The way they stated how their object works is that, you know, um, that light and energy and and audible things are are not destroyed; they don't fade away in time, and they were capturing those. So my problem with it is not that it's impossible to capture images that we can't see or things from another time or, or place. It's how do they, how are they dictating what? They're capturing how? Oh well, we want the death of Christ. How are they making that happen? You know what I mean? How do they get exactly what they want? I don't. I don't see how that's
1: even possible. Unless you you will it, I guess. Maybe. But I mean, I, I think that there's there's sort of as I was saying. I think I was saying this last week, where you know the skepticism is a good thing. You know, it's it's there's a reason that humans are skeptical. I think I think that. You know, maybe maybe it's entirely possible he created this thing. Although I think it's interesting that he used the word Chronos for for time rather than I don't know. I always prefer the idea of Kairos, which is just time outside of time, which is much more fascinating to me than than chronological time. But I mean, yeah, even 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 with that, that's I, I think that th- that's a little weird. I I don't know. I I can't say one way or another. You know, maybe, maybe he did experience something. You know. Um... But I, I think that there's a there's a teaching that one of one of my wife's friends is in seminary, and he was like, you know, um, personal revelation does not equal um, you know church dogma, and that's probably that's that's a good thing to kind of keep in mind that you know just because someone someone has you know this experience doesn't mean that you know everybody believes it. And so I think that I think that you know maybe it was just a great experience of faith for this guy, you know. But I, I think that. It's weird that he would need a device to do it.
0: Well, when I first heard of... Yeah, shamans don't need devices. When I first heard of the, of the uh, cr- vi- chronovisor here, uh, I thought of the God Helmet. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Dr. Michael Percy, the late Dr. Michael Percy, one of them back on the show, but he passed away on yeah. Uh There was um, <coughs> uh, the electromagnetic uh, sort of uh, manipulation and... Uh, Various uh, EKG uh, methods that he used, and you literally put on this helmet, and people have all sorts of mystical experiences. And maybe um, he said that there would students would come to this. He taught at the University of Sudbury in Ontario, and students would come to the door. Oh, can I try the God Helmet? Because it, it was a high without taking any chemicals. Because what it did, you know, manipulating brain waves and this sort of thing. So I, that's the first thing I thought of. Now, whether there's any relationship, I'm not sure what the mechanics of the chronovisor were, but uh, I, I just thought of that. Does it still exist? The chronovisor? Yeah.
2: Supposedly what I what I heard was it was dismantled into like 15 pieces or 14 pieces, and it's believed to be uh, stored in the, the library of the Vatican.
0: Um, oh, yeah, it, where, where there really are secret archives, I right. I knew the guy who ran the secret archive, <laughs> or at least worked there. He's a retired priest now.
2: But I, I uh, just think if, if this thing actually did work, um, the way it was described was that it's it's capturing light from events from you know things that happen. That's possible. How are they steering those? <clears throat> excuse me, those. Um, Those light rays to them exactly what they want to see. It's, they're, they're Catholic, they're, so they're interested in, in Christ, so of course they're, they're capturing images of the Last Supper, like I said, the, the death of Christ and everything else like that. I just don't see how that is, you know, how they're capable of doing that. They're and if it is true and it it is real, then we're missing some information. We're- there's several other components that need to be involved. I mean, just what they're describing. It might have been
1: left out on purpose. Yeah, but I would agree with that. So, I mean, even if maybe, maybe you know, it's one of those things, it's like, oh, well, it's too good to be true, maybe because it is. Yeah. Well, what, one of the
0: things that uh, perhaps is a bit, uh, keep us sober in this matter, is uh, there's a lot of nonsense, as we all know, flying around the Internet, particularly YouTube, mm. and there was one uh, alleged time traveler uh, who said that he had on the machine? It was flown, and, and he went back to the—I um, uh, guess it was the, the uh, Cretaceous period or the Jurassic period. He went to various, and he, saw, he was describing all these species of dinosaurs that did not exist at the same time. So I mean, that was kind of a dead giveaway. If it, it was going to be a, a hoaxer, he should research his stuff better. Right. You know, and uh, yeah. you no. Know,
2: yeah, I said last week there was there's two well-known, well known, popular, I should say, popular. Um, time travelers that are all over they pop up on oh, all yeah. kinds of shows and they've they both been proven wrong but they're still popping up on shows
0: there's always some, somebody's going to believe it <laughs> you so know. Th- that's why the in, in, keeping your integrity in, in this field is so important
1: yeah. you know, but skepticism anyways, so. is a good thing
0: <laughs> yes exactly so there you have it. Uh, what's uh, Peter's next uh, next question?
1: Then? Uh, well, we are coming up on our break. Oh, so, we are. Yes. So we'll, we'll introduce it. Actually, right. um, it might be a very quick answer. Uh, did you ever have any contact with Mister Keel? If so, what happened? Oh, John Keel. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, well,
0: before we we'll leave that for after the break. But sure. The because uh, then we're we're hoping to have a call from the organizers of the X-Filers Convention, which uh, we want to promote. Um, a, a bit. Uh, somebody sent this yesterday printed out or anything, but I figured I'd remember it. You know, is it really true that St. Patrick chased all the snakes out of Ireland? Well, I mean, that's the folklore. I mean, biologists believe that, and they really are, there are no snakes in Ireland, I mean, in the wild anyway. As a matter of fact, if you have one as a pet, it's something of a status symbol. (laughs) So, the, but biologists believe there never were any snakes in Ireland because of a lot of strange things from the ice age and all this. And uh, when I was there, uh, the last time there was somebody who uh, I was talking to a biologist, and I said, "You know, how, how come there are no snakes in Ireland?" He told me that, and he said, as a "Matter of fact, uh, they had one as a pet, and it escaped, and it was out in... they found it dead out in the uh, the garden the next morning. It just uh, there's something about the climate or whatever. And but yet you find palm trees in the southern part of Ireland that people have them as decorations. Really, mm-hmm. they're not wild. Yeah. So, huh. um, but St. Pa- the, the snakes referred to were uh, actually. Um, the pagans, uh, which does not endear Saint Patrick to my uh, pagan, uh, neo-pagan uh, friends, but uh, uh, anyway, but, but that that was the origin of the folklore. But people will take stuff and, and and but he had a quite the saga. He was actually he wasn't Irish. He was from England uh, or maybe Scotland from from a family that had uh, great many roots in, with the Romans. This is in the fifth century, so it's not that long after the Romans and. Uh, so um, he was captured by Irish pirates, and that's how he got to Ireland. Oh, wow. When he got back to England, uh, he, he had this dream, uh, a little bit of paranormal here, and it said, go on back and evangelize or make the Irish Christians, because they were all pagans at the time, Picts and the uh, ang- uh, sax- ang- uh, Angles, I believe, were the, the, tr- the various nations. And uh, he went back and did that, and uh, a number of adventures, and uh, the only thing we know anything about him is... Uh, through the Confessio, which was his autobiography, and he died 461 after becoming a priest and a bishop. But he really did use the shamrock as an example of the Holy Trinity and this sort of thing. So a lot of the stuff about him is true. Other stuff is exaggerated. So let's take our break at this point. Mm. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, and happy St. Patrick's Day, of course. Uh, We have our great guest co-host Shane Searway today, and we're doing open lines. We'll be right back.
1: Hey, this is Dave Koz. And this weekend, the Dave Koz Radio Show welcomes guitarist Nick Coleone to our studios. I hope you'll plan to tune in for that. And remember, you can visit DaveKoz.com for more information. And be here this weekend for Nick Coleone on the Dave Koz Radio Show. Hi there, fans of smooth jazz. The Dave Koz Radio Show can only be heard on ON, AM, and FM twice every Sunday. 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. and again 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. And the Dave Coz Radio Show is sponsored by the Carew Investment Group. It's the Dave Coz Radio Show. It's right here on ON, AM, and FM.
3: ON Radio!
0: Hey, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. It's WOON 12, uh, excuse me, (coughs) 1240 on New England's. Uh, beautiful Blackstone River Valley here, AM and the 99.3 FM. That was a little turned around, wasn't it? Sorry about that. But anyway, we're uh, having open lines today with a second um, back-to-back show. We have so many questions, and we've been dealing with a lot of interesting and complex questions uh, from uh, our great listeners. So, um, I think we have a call here. But again, uh, happy St. Patrick's Day (laughs) to everyone, and... uh, We'll just. Um, this, this is off topic, but just very briefly. In 1985, I was in the U.S. Coast Guard, and I was sent to, from base Boston to liaise with an Irish cadet ship uh, that had come into the port of Boston. And um, you know, I was talking to some of the uh, the officer cadets from the Irish Defence Forces, and I said, "It must be. It was March. It must be kind of cool to be in Boston for you know, with all the, the the stuff that's going on, all the Irishness that's taking place." And they said, "Well, you know, they they didn't want to be rude, but it was it was they were they were kind of they said it's kind of weird to us, you know, the green beer and the leprechaun hats and stuff." I said, "Well, what do you do in Ireland when it's St. Patrick's Day? Well, we go to church. I don't know if that's true anymore. They've had a lot of scandals, but in yeah. 1985, <laughs> they all went to So I found that interesting. So we have a caller, and uh, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, welcome to WON. What uh, uh, what's cooking? Hi,
3: this is... This is Valerie. i Oh, hi, Valerie. The, hi, how you doing?
0: Well, better I, than nothing.
3: <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, I'm calling to, for, uh, to update about the X Files United Convention.
0: Go uh, right ahead. We're looking in April. forward to it. Yeah.
3: I got some exciting news. We have another new guest speaker and presenter, and it is Dan Dean Haglund, aka. Lone Gunman Rick Langley <laughs> uh, oh. you know X-Files you know and you love Lone Gunman he was the one with the long blonde hair
0: <laughs>
1: oh, okay cool I'm so excited yeah, you have no idea how excited I am <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah.
3: um, he'll be presenting his documentary Saturday Night uh, called Imprint 25 Years of the X-Files and he will also be available for photo ops and autographs and we'll have the the uh, We'll have the information on the website this
0: week. That's great. And what, so that's what, the what's site. the website? I mean, uh, we, we know x, it, but you you can yeah. you, you get to say it.
3: Yeah, x-filesunited.com. So it's, a it's
0: a x dash dash right. com. Outstanding. Okay. And uh, interestingly enough, Ben and I will be among the speakers, and so will Shane. So you've got uh, three, yes. of them, three of them right here.
3: That's going to be fantastic.
0: Yeah, we'll be there on Saturday. It's a tough weekend for us, so we probably won't be there the whole time, but we'll be back and forth. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, very good. And uh, who who are some of the other speakers?
3: Well, um, I listened to the beginning of your show, and uh, you talked about smells and odors uh, associated with the paranormal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, one of our uh, speakers is Joshua Cutton. He's an author and researcher, and one of his books that he um, wrote is The Brimstone Deceit, An In-Depth Examination of Supernatural sense, Otherworldly Olders, and Monstrous mazamizas niaz- I can't say it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's so
3: I can't. I'm sorry. I, I know how to say it, but I can't say it. That's fine. Uh, it, yeah. Yeah, and so he's written two other books. Um, so he's going to be there. Timothy Renner, uh, who is an expert in Bigfoot, is also going to be there. They're, go- they're also going to be doing their own lecture, but to- they're going to be doing a panel together uh, on Saturday because they have um, together they are writing a book on Bigfoot. Mm. So they're going to be talking about that. Uh, we're going to have Aaron Cadu, who um, did documentary on the Bridgewater Triangle. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, everyone knows about Bermuda Triangle. We actually have one in uh, the uh, Northeast. Mm-hmm. And apparently there's been multiple UFO sightings and maybe even some satanic cult activity and other ghostly hauntings. <laughs>
0: Very true, yeah. Um, yeah,
3: we have a lot of experiences, people who have had experiences um, with, uh, with aliens, UFOs. We also have... We have Gary McKinstry, who will be doing a gallery on Saturday afternoon. Uh, For anyone who might want to see if you can get a message from a loved one, he will be there Saturday afternoon. So we have a wide range of speakers, and they're all on the website, um, and it's a full pack three days.
0: That's great, wow. and give us the uh, the dates and times plan. And, and the, cause it's at the Crown Plaza in Warwick, Rhode Island, I believe, right?
3: Yeah, the yeah. Crown Plaza in Warwick, Rhode Island. That's eight. Uh, it's on eight zero, eight hundred zero. I'm sorry, eight zero one, <laughs> Cranwich Avenue, Warwick, Rhode Island. Uh, it will be on Friday, April twenty sixth, Saturday, April twenty seventh, and Sunday, April twenty eighth.
0: Only about f- six, five weeks away. Months, yeah. Yep.
3: Yeah, we're going pretty much from Friday morning, 8 o'clock, when people can start registering or pre-registering or we'll walk in. Um, and uh, the vendors will be opening up at 9, and then we'll be um, ending at 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoon.
0: Okay, very good. Well, Valerie, thanks for thanks for the information. We'll be promoting that at the end of the show and then as we go toward the event, and uh, we'll uh, look forward to seeing you there. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay. All right, folks. Yep, X-FILERS 2019 convention. It's going to be uh, very interesting, I'm sure. Okay, so let's uh, <coughs> get um, back to, I guess it's Peter's questions.
1: Yes, it was Peter, and he asked if you ever had contact with John Keel, and if so, oh. what happened? Okay,
0: well, we had a fist fight. No. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> John Keel, uh, first of all, who he was, he was a, a New York uh, journalist with an interesting background and he uh, is uh, probably best known for uh, covering and uh, publicizing the Mothman incidents in the Ohio Valley of the USA in the 1960s. Uh, He was back and forth there to New York, and and a number of reports have come out about... uh, If people saw the the film, The Mothman Prophecies, uh, the the keel is essentially represented, I guess, by Richard Gere, uh, who was a journalist from Washington in this case. And, uh, the movie bears very little resemblance to the book, but, because uh, in the book there, there, the, the actual was kind of nonfiction. And there were incidents such as the, the strange phone calls with the electrical impulses kind of, you know, blasting through your ear and, uh, all sorts of electrical phenomena, uh, <clears throat> which are interesting to, uh, Zach's question, I think. There were issues that had to do with Men in Black and all sorts of, uh, of course, the Mothman appearances uh, on their own, which was seen by hundreds of people. This huge creature that flew and looked like a very muscular man with bat wings, and uh, he he was the one essentially who uh, kind of brought that all together in the stories. Now we were we were about to get in touch with him when he passed, when he translated, when, when he passed away. So that was another regret, I think. I think he would have been the best friend we never had. But there have, there, he was not without controversy. He was, um, the, he supposedly admitted at some points that he kind of exaggerated some of the events. Um, the, and I, but I don't know, there are other witnesses, including ones we spoke to while we were there in 03, Ben was a little nipper, but maybe he remembers some of this. Uh, People who had witnessed things and said things that Keel said as well. So I'm not—I don't know if you can say that he um, fabricated any of this, but uh, he there there were there were there were issues with some of it. But I think generally it's very very good stuff, uh, very accurate reporting from what we've heard from witnesses of the whole Mothman thing. But uh, that's a long answer to a short question. Uh, We we unfortunately did not know John Keel. Shane, any any comments?
2: Yeah, um, the movie though wasn't accurate,
0: right? Correct. Mm, n- n- not well. It, it was n- yes and no. There
2: was some, I guess, but yeah,
0: so, but some uh, parts
2: they made the, up. The,
0: the whole thing, see, the movie culminates with the collapse of the Silver Bridge, right? Right. Which, for one thing, did not run right into because we've been on it. Did not run right into Point Pleasant. Uh, it runs from the Ohio side over to this island, and another bridge goes into Point Pleasant. I mean, but that sort of thing bothers you. I mean, th- th- that, oh, that's uh-huh. one inaccuracy.
1: Which it does bother you. It does
0: bother, it does bother me,
1: because
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a stickler, because I'm a journalist myself by trade, and I'm a stickler for, for accuracy. Um, the um, collapse of the bridge, they had the wrong number of people killed. There was the... 36 in the movie, and it was actually like 30, but, so that, but that's yeah, those just are little things. a couple things.
2: Well, I thought it was something to do with the phone calls, all that other stuff that was yeah. kind of like thrown in there.
0: And it collapsed on December 15th, 1967, not Christmas Eve. All right. So, but again, that's small things. Um, and, but the uh, essentially, the collapse of the bridge as depicted in the movie was accurate.
2: Um, Did you know that it was originally supposed to be a CBS TV film? Really? Yeah, was it? Yep. He, he, John oh. Keel sold his story to CBS, and when um, they had it, and then they ended up dropping it, then the rights reverted back to him. I didn't know And that's that. when he was approached by Paramount.
0: Okay. I mm-hmm. love the movie. I mean, I personally, it's just kind of a cult film now.
2: He, he joked around on one of his um, lectures saying that, you know, so they they talk about Richard Gere portraying me, and I was thinking more Brad Pitt. And, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Keel right here. But, uh, yeah, the, also, the but uh, another a local journalist who was a uh, tremendous help in cataloging and documenting the whole thing, because it didn't just happen in Point Pleasant. It was over in uh, Marietta, Ohio, and, mm-hmm. and up, up the river in the, up the Ohio River in Parkersburg, where we talked to some witnesses ourselves, mm-hmm. and it was the whole area. Uh, y- there were Mothman sightings as far away as 85 miles uh, from Point Pleasant, but Mary Hire H-Y-R-E, was uh, from the local uh, newspaper there in Point Pleasant, and um, she had experiences of her own and like she would say that there was a funny little guy in, in black kind of a man in black as we'd say today uh, came into the newspaper office and wanted to know what was going on and the, you know he never blinked his eyes and very, very pale skin and the you know, hat kind of pulled a you know, very very odd sort of man in black sort of sort of thing so there were all sorts of things that had to do with that case that were weird uh, I told
2: a story before um, this back in before the movie came out before there was any talk of the movie uh, I met this old lady who she escaped from a, a nursing home. <laughs> it turned, she did. out yeah. Um, she she wandered off anyways, and what was weird because she like vanished. She was talking to me, and then she walked out the door, and I I looked back, and she was gone. Like oh I,
0: yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah.
2: What was strange is. Way, way back, Uh, she she didn't say how long ago, but she was young at the time, so it it had to been a while ago, Um, she was a gypsy, and she basically, they they traveled around in packs because they said they would be safer together in these large groups, because she called it, um, they didn't know the Mothman story or nothing like that, they were Mm -hmm. homeless, they didn't watch TV or nothing like that, They, they called it the Devil Flying Fox.
0: Oh, okay. Yep, yeah. and she yeah. said
2: it had glowing red eyes. Yeah, And so they wouldn't sleep in the woods, or they would find a big open field, and they would sleep in the middle of it so they could see it coming from a distance.
0: Oh, right. So right. they could,
2: you know, protect yeah. themselves. But they said... Long wings, and it would, fly, it would yep. perch in trees and fly a, at them, and yep. they, they were worried it was going to take them. And and this was before that movie came out. But she described what everyone describes the yep. Mothman. That's right. And it was in Ohio, Virginia, West Virginia area where she traveled. Okay. She gypsied around through through all those.
0: Well, there it's an ongoing uh, saga, apparently. In our book, um, Behind the Paranormal: Two Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard of, we uh, just before we went to press, the Chicago sightings began. In 2017, I mean, those early are still going on, right? Yeah, they are. Yeah, um, there, there was one man who was with his sons, and he saw two of them, whatever them may be. Now, now we'll, we'll take labels like Mothman and, and stick it on anything that looks vaguely like what we think Mothman is, mm. and it may be something entirely different. But he said these are two huge bat-like creatures flying above. Yeah, you know, it wasn't in the middle of nowhere either. It was like near Chicago in this marina on uh, Lake Michigan there, and that was, you know, it was just like, uh, you know, see you later. So, But uh, there are still things going on. One of the things in the movie, and John Keel, never, as far as I know, never really believed that it was predicting disaster. The Mothman prophecies were the prophecies of the bridge collapse and all these people dying. Um, and supposedly, because at the end of the film it says Mothman was never seen in Point Pleasant again. That's not true. Mm. There are right now even the sightings going on. If you hear about them here and there because it, it is—it's still a—it's not a wilderness area, but it's it's still pretty rural. The area around these towns in the Ohio Valley, so it's mm-hmm. um, it's still going on. And supposedly, uh, Mothman was seen before Chernobyl uh, nuclear disaster occurred uh, in the 80s. Uh, matter of fact, I remember I was in the Providence Journal newsroom at the time, w- working there as an editor, and I was a fr- I was the wire. I was the first one to know that that had happened. <laughs> Um, at least in the newsroom but uh, nothing about Mothman uh, but supposedly it uh, was seen but um, I think uh, the context in which we put these these sightings of things like Mothman um, you will say aha this happened right after so it must be connected Well not necessarily but very interesting I wish we had known John Keel um, maybe in some parallel reality we're, we're, we're best buddies But
2: uh, he seemed like a great researcher I mean, he was yeah. very well researched he had a lot of information
0: Very likable person, as I understand. We know a lot of
1: people who knew him,
0: but we uh, ourselves uh, weren't uh, lucky enough to know him. So So, uh, what do we got next there, Ben?
1: Well, we have one final question, and this is sort of related to what we were just talking about, which is about Indrid Cold. Um, Uh, Have you discovered any information on this mysterious MIB uh, that might not be well known?
0: Yes. uh, The background of that is... uh, also, in the context of uh, just before the Mothman, things began to occur. Uh, this is early, earlier in 1966. Uh, Woodrow Durenberger was driving down, I guess, the uh, I guess it was the interstate highway there, which is 85. I I don't want to say if I don't know, but and uh, nobody was on the road. It was uh, early evening, and this craft, according to him, was land was right there in the middle of the lane, and so it obviously stopped. And this uh, guy got out and said that he, he was injured cold uh, and eventually he came out of this from the planet the Lanulos. Lanulos, yeah. Yeah. And um, I, w- I would not really take this too seriously except that we know Woody's daughter, Tanya Durenberger Bowman. And she's been on the show several times and we know her pretty well. And uh, she says that she herself saw andric Cole, because he came to their house there are stories too uh, she said that sometimes he had a companion and uh, their the, the father was uh, he was in sales and he wasn't you know imagine you know tremendously you know a guy who would imagine or, or want to even make up stuff like this especially in those days when people were afraid of ridicule and uh, she's written a couple of books about it and, but, but that's essentially what that was uh, there wasn't anything really negative um, I'm not aware that he was ever abducted in any sense uh, but he uh, the guy, he was a frequent visitor to the area and again even to the house there and of course this is the same time when these men in black were going on whether this was con- directly connected with the Mothman phenomenon is another thing but as we say, we believe that's a flat area. We're still researching it. It's full of the Bougie anomaly, which has fu- gravity anomalies. And uh, people had, uh, at the same time Mothman was going on, uh, ghost phenomena. People would start to become more psychic, they said. There would be strange, uh, lots and lots of st- UFOs, things of this kind. And, of course, Ingrid cold. Now, whether it was a hoax, I don't know. Uh, Tanya doesn't believe that it was. Uh, as I say, she was there. Uh, so th- th- that's essentially what we know about Indrid Cold. Um, in the, f- in the movie, going back to the same film, The Mothman Prophecies, uh, Indrid Cold is not necessarily portrayed, uh, a- accurately, at least according to the story as I heard it. You-, you, never see him. All you hear is this weird voice on the phone and that kind of thing. And, um, so, I mean, it's, it's sort of in the right spirit, so pardon, pardon the pun, but it's not. Really, uh, as uh, as I've read the story about Ingrid Cold.
2: Mm. Well, two, these two teenagers also saw injured Cold, and um, they ran right to the police station. You know, that's, that's right. Yes. Teenagers don't often, you know, volunteer to go go no. to the police station. So, um, but you know, also I I heard that injured Cold, um, well, for, for one, like the, the daughter, injured Cold would talk. His mouth would move when he talked to the daughter. But when he t- spoke to to the, the guy, his he would use t- telepathy. Um,
0: yeah, actually, you're, uh, yeah, that's right. I'd forgotten. And that. the yeah. other
2: thing I heard that he would disappear, um, Dur- Durenberg or whatever would disappear for days.
0: Uh, that's th- true too. Yes,
2: w- or weeks at a time. So that
0: is a possible abduction. I was
2: I yeah, was and the, sometimes yeah. he would I'd
0: forgotten that
2: he'd been brought to Langulos, and then other times he doesn't remember what happened. That's right. And also. Um, but I guess apparently he he became he he wasn't drinking when all this happened. But after a while, he started to drink heavily, yeah. and then eventually he settled down and straightened himself
0: out. Yeah, I think there was a divorce. It was, a, it was. And
2: what his daughter also said, I don't know if she said this on the show, but I just I just heard her say this on on when I was doing my research. But she said um, that when her father died, when he passed away. I don't know if she said in 90 or he was 90, I'm not sure, but whenever at his funeral, his his father, her father lived a long life or whatever, but when he, at his funeral, Indrid Cole was there. She says nobody knew that, but he was there.
0: Oh, I didn't know that yeah. either. <laughs> yeah.
2: Pretty interesting. Wow. I'd like to see photographs well, of the, you know.
0: it's, it's the, um, and, and Ben has often pointed this out, uh, when it comes to aliens, uh, they would be, you'd think, alien if, if, if they were the product of a different evolutionary stream and the uh, conditions on the planet were not exactly like, like they are here. They wouldn't look like us or they wouldn't probably talk like us but so so one wonders maybe this is a parallel world experience not necessarily an alien planet right in in the classical sense so
2: it was weird too because everyone called him the grinning man and he was dubbed that and saying like he had this real like joker type smile or whatever and you see dramatic pictures drawn but she said you know he he, it wasn't unlike the way we smile it was just like he, he always had like a smile but it wasn't weird yeah or creepy
0: or one thing that uh, far less well known than uh, Indrid Cole was Romar Bolak, one of our local Northern Rhode Island friends, uh, who was reported by a number of people back when uh, Joe Ferrier was on this station, and he was the afternoon talk show host for, for 50 years until uh, I think it was 2012 he, he translated and we uh, we lost a good friend. He, um, his show was not necessarily like this one. It was, it was a talk show. But uh, he was well-known in the 60s as a uh, UFO expert, uh, publisher. He published um, uh, Probe magazine. And he was in touch with a, a number of contactees in this area. And he took some very well-known UFO photographs uh, in Cumberland, uh, right near here, in Rhode Island. And uh, Romar Bolak, if I'm getting the name right, was um, a person who would... Uh, uh, I, I'm not going to mention the name because he's he's still around, uh, very old. But he's he was younger at the time in the 50s and 60s, and he th- he was a contactee, and this uh, it was very very much like the Indrid Cold situation. Hmm. So that was not isolated. Oh, wow. At least at least in human experience. So uh, anyway, there it is. So. Uh, we have time for anything else. You no, know, oh, he does
1: actually have have one quick comment okay. for us that is not a question that will lead when us on a 30 contact explanation. Today, yeah. All right. um, so Peter continues to say, finally, he's like, I just have a comment on a listener's question from the last Great Open Line show. The listener asked about the strange booms heard throughout the world, and he said, I have a solution. Obviously, it is Jeff, the talking mongoose, operating his underground tunnel boring machine. Uh, but no, they exactly. He says more seriously, "I heard Linda Moulton Howe um, uh, propose that the booms are the result of a real battle beneath the earth."
0: Well, all right, I'm not going to comment on Linda's opinion. We love Linda dearly. Um, she's a real journalist, but I, you know, I, there are times, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I would be a little more skeptical and objective, mm-hmm. uh, not, not to be critical. Uh, I grew up in Central Connecticut, not too far north of where the moodest noises. Take place. They were known from remote history. Uh, the natives would always talk of the the Nipmuc tribe would always talk about uh, Hobomock, who was this uh, spirit who was not a nice guy, and they figured he lived in this mountain. That's why you'd hear the booming from time to time. And uh, finally, in the 60s and 70s, uh, seismologists in the University of Connecticut decided these are seismic movements underground, because the area is, is full of little faults. As a matter of fact, a few years ago, there were a number of quakes, uh, minor, but n- enough to knock stuff off shelves, and our, our Connecticut relatives would report that it was very, rather disconcerting and wake them up and everything. But, uh, you know, three, four point, and not even that, that high, two and three point, is you know, enough to feel... But, you know, and not enough to wreck any houses, or any, uh, very little damage. But the area is very seismically active, and that it was often attributed to that. So it's possible that many of these noises, and, and they can seem to come from a distance or even from the sky, and they're actually seismic in origin. But that doesn't really explain things like the Taos hum. As in Taos, New Mexico, this has come up before. It sounds kind of like a big diesel rig you know, sort of uh, running in the distance, and nobody's really been able to place it. It doesn't explain uh, metallic sounds that have been really have been recorded all over the world, and of course uh, some religious believers will jump on that and say, aha, it's Gabriel's mm-hmm. trumpet or something, you know. Well, I mean, I I don't know about that, but I think it's, um, I I don't know what what that could be, the the metallic sounds. Any thoughts on that, Shane?
2: No, I don't, but they're obviously happening all around, and and I do believe there's weird things going on underground. I do believe that. Yeah, that's true. And if you ever look up uh, Phil Snyder, um, who claimed to have worked on these underground boring tunnels and stuff like that, but I know we're running out of time, but uh, he's very believable.
0: Yeah, well, we'll get into that again, and uh, again, underground bases are very common. Mm. In the military world. So anyway, let's uh, get into our announcements there, Ben. Sure. So we have. Well, that's me. <laughs> oh well. Shane, great. give us uh, quickly. Give us your website and uh, you know where people can find out more.
2: Yeah, trueghost.com, t-r-u-e-g-h-o-s-t.com, and um, the, my all my contact information is there. Um, and you can look me up on YouTube. I have a channel who I'm, I'm gonna start, uh, really, I got two shows up now. I'll start be, uh, I'm gonna do more coming, going forward, but uh, that's ex- exposing the paranormal TV. Um and... Yeah, and I know we're running short on it's time, good so stuff. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll cut, cut
0: my mouth. <laughs> i got to get this plug in. My next book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God, is now available for pre-order on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and all the usual suspects, and from Schiffer Publishing. Uh, it's got an official release date of August 28th. And that's when it should be in stores, and uh, we're going to do a big uh, release party at the uh, Toadstool Bookshop in Keene, New Hampshire, uh, Saturday, September 21st, beginning at 2 p.m. We'll talk
1: uh, more about that as we go. Indeed, Uh, and so for any uh, friends or family whose tastes run to the weird and unexplained, you can uh, give our autographed copies of our books as gifts. Our latest titles include uh, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know Is Wrong, and Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You've Never Heard Of, Uh, They're available from online retailers and in some stores. But for RRF copies, you can visit our online uh, bookstore at BehindTheParanormal.com. And while you're there, you can check out all of our podcasts, recorded shows, and pretty much anything else you really want to know about us at BehindTheParanormal.com.
0: Okay, our next event, April 23rd, uh, Town of Prospect Senior Center in Connecticut. Uh, That's a great venue. It's open to the public.
1: Um, And then, go ahead, Ben. So we have the X-Filers United uh, 2019 Convention, which we just heard about from uh, Valerie. And that is set for uh, April 26th through the 28th at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island. This event covers all areas of the paranormal, including UFOs, ghost phenomena, cryptids, and more. Along with us, there are plenty of speakers, including Shane Searway over here, uh, filmmaker Alexander Petikoff UFO researcher and experiencer Mike Stevens, along with uh, the America's youngest uh, recognized cryptid expert Colin Schneider, famous medium Gary McKinstry, uh, author Susan Brunel, UFO experiencer Tom Reed, and a number of other big names. Um, and we'll give you more details as they firm up. And the website is x Okay, I think
0: we better jump ahead because I'm determined to get to that quote.
1: Fair this enough.
0: time. Okay. <laughs> um and uh, check out our charities too on the website behind com.
1: So next week uh, March 24th here on WON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM will bring you uh, one of our favorite guests journalist uh, cryptid researcher uh, Linda Godfrey uh, for a look at modern day monster encounters. So we'll get your questions in via Paul at behindtheparanormal.com. You can message us on Facebook as well or call in during the show 401-766-1240.
0: Okay, uh, we leave you this afternoon with words I have always thought hauntingly beautiful from of all people a uh, twentieth century American actor- actress Audrey Hepburn for beautiful eyes, look for the good in others for beautiful lips, speak only words of kindness, and for poise, walk with the knowledge that you are never alone, and i 'm too early
1: yeah, okay, yeah. well, I mean so, you know, it was a good try, and it yeah, least you, know, yeah. you got to the quote so. But anyway, we did. And
0: again, check out BehindTheParanormal.com and our, uh, our charities. So I'm Paul Eno. And I'm
1: Ben Eno.
2: And I'm Shane Serraway. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio
0: frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.